Hey, Drew Dixon from Love Thy Nerd, back with you for another Bible Thump. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and I'm going to read. Uh, this is another interesting story from the Gospel of Mark. So I'm going to read, starting in verse 18 of chapter 12. So Mark 12, starting in verse 18. Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and questioned him, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife behind but no child, that man should take a wife and raise up offspring for his brother. You see what's going on here? Jesus is being confronted by another religious group, religious leaders, and uh, they're trying to stump him again. This has been a theme in Mark's Gospel of people trying to stump Jesus. So they're saying, uh, hey, we've read the law of Moses, and it says this, and here's a scenario that we want you to figure out for us, okay? So teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife behind but no child, that man should take the wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Uh, in the ancient world, um, it was very dangerous and um, difficult to live life as a widow. So if you were widowed, um, you, your family had a responsibility to then take care of you. That's the idea. This, that's what this law is about. That's what it was in place for, was to protect um, people women in particular, from from the suffering that would often come from being widowed. Because it's a different world than it is today, if that makes sense. Okay, so verse 20. There were seven brothers. The first married a woman, dying, left no offspring. The second also took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. None of the seven left left offspring. Last of all, the woman died too. In the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? Since, since seven had married her. Jesus spoke to them, isn't the reason why you're mistaken? Isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. As for the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You're badly mistaken. Okay. So, yeah, we see what's going on here. It's this conservative religious group, the Sadducees. It's a common misnomer that the, Sad the Sadducees were not conservative. Some people think that they weren't conservative because they um, didn't believe in the resurrection. And to us, to many people today, like the idea of belief in a bodily resurrection is a conservative idea. Uh, but that's not true. They were actually very conservative, the Sadducees were. You see, because the idea of a bodily resurrection to many Jews, was seen as a liberal idea. This is a stepping away from what were considered to be more traditional ancient Jewish beliefs. Um, so, But in reality, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees are very conservative religious groups, and both, for their own various reasons, kind of had it out for Jesus. Um, and so now we see uh, there are more confrontations between Jesus and the Pharisees than any other group in Mark's Gospel. But finally, we see the Sadducees, too, are after Jesus, and um, they're trying to stump him on this issue of marriage. Well, what happens if you really believe the resurrection? Let's say you're right about the resurrection, Jesus. Then whose wife is this woman, uh, as she's married these seven people? And so, um, Jesus's point is not to make a big statement about heaven or about um, about anything else necessarily. Um, but what he does, uh, or even or even to make any points about marriage. But what he does do here is demonstrate that his coming, the kingdom he's established, is by nature transformative. Um, 
think there's this common idea in a lot of uh, Christianity today, like conservative, especially conservative circles of Christianity, but just in in life in general, of like we have this desire for um, death not to be the end, right? Um, when someone dies, even if the relative of an atheist or an agnostic dies, you'll often hear that atheist or that agnostic person talking about like, oh, they're looking down on me from heaven, uh, or um, I'll see them again one day, I, I hope, you know. And I think that illustrates a couple things. One, that we all have this inward desire for there to be more to this life than what we're experiencing now, that we have this desire for eternal life. Every human being has it, I think, on some level. And then secondly, what this tells us is that we have a lot of sort of misinformation about heaven, I think, because we think of it as this disembodied existence in some other realm um, that's like paradise or um, like that's an idea that's found. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So there's some some merit there, but this idea of um, heaven being this disembodied otherworldly existence is actually not really found in the Bible. In fact, the way Jesus talks about heaven is that it's this, it's its the realm of God. It's the place where God's reign is perfectly felt. And so what Jesus does in his earthly ministry is he takes a little taste of that, that place where God's reign and rule is felt perfectly, and brings it to bear on our world. That's why he heals diseases and casts out demons and forgives sin um, and teaches as one with authority because he's saying, I'm going to do something about what's fundamentally, all the things that are fundamentally wrong with the world that are all rooted in in sin. And so he's doing something to make the world a better place. He's actively transforming the world. Um, and that's, I think, what he tells us to think about when we think about resurrection. So all that to say, like, we've got to stop thinking about resurrection just as, um, like, escape from this world, because that's not really the biblical vision. The biblical vision of resurrection is more one of transformation and restoration, of taking something that's broken and mending it, healing it, restoring it to its state of wholeness and wellness. That's the type of resurrection I think that Jesus has in mind here, and it is spiritual in a sense, but it's also physical. Um, our God is big enough to raise the dead from their graves. And even like even if you have a loved one that's been um, cremated, like God has the power to put atoms back together and raise them from the dead. And so many of the, the visions that we get of heaven in the in the in the Bible are quite physical. Um in fact, uh, you know, Isaiah 66 speaks of this new heavens and new earth, and the way Isaiah talks about it is he talks about um, people building vineyards and enjoying their fruit and, um, and all kinds of, uh, of things like that, people building houses and inhabiting them. Um, it's this very physical picture that Isaiah paints of a world restored, not a world um, destroyed and remade um, completely different. But what's good about this world, renewed and made good and made whole again. God takes what is broken and mends it. Jesus makes all things new. And so um, I think this passage is one that challenges you and I to think about our relationship to the world. 
a relationship to the created world. Here's what N.T. Wright said about this passage. I love it. He says, Resurrection, in other words, is not another somewhat nicer description of being dead. It is the reversal of death, the gift of a new body to enjoy life in God's new world. We should be aware we should be aware of regarding death itself, the dissolution and decay of the physical body as anything other than an, 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 an enemy. And the Bible speaks about it that way. Paul called uh, death an enemy and, and one of the last great enemies that God will defeat, right? And he says that's the first step to denying the goodness of God's creation. If we deny that death is an enemy, that's the first step to denying the goodness of God's good creation. Uh, Believing in the resurrection doesn't just offer the best hope for all, uh, for our ultimate future. It gives to the present created world its full value. What God has made, he will remake. I want to unpack that a little bit. Here's what I think N.T. Wright is saying, and here's what I think this passage is saying it's saying that creation the physical world is tremendously valuable god has given it value and who is the the pinnacle in many ways of god's creation it's it's you and me uh it's human beings um and i don't say that lightly i'm not i'm not in any way encouraging you to worship human beings at all but it is really significant that god created human beings differently than everything else he made. God says of everything he makes, it's good. It's good. He makes everything, every every piece of creation as it's put into place, he says he declares it good. But when he makes human beings, he makes them in his image to reflect his glory, to reflect his likeness, to reflect his love. And then more than that, we get into Genesis 2 and we find that God breathes the breath of life he forms and shapes man and then breathes there's breathes the breath of there's an intimacy and a care uh given to the way god creates human beings that is given to nothing else in that creation account um why do i say that because i think this is a passage that because of the way jesus talks about resurrection challenges us to one um value this created physical world that we've been given to take really good care of it, and then secondly, to value and take really good care of human bodies. Um, To value human beings and human bodies and always ask ourselves the question as we make, whatever decisions we make in our life, every time we're making a decision, we should ask, what is the impact of this decision, not just on me, but on the world, on the created world, and and that includes people. What's the impact going to be on my neighbor? What's the impact going to be on my community? What's the impact going to be on people in need or people on the margins or anyone, right? What is the impact? Um, so, yeah, I guess I just want to challenge you with, leave you with this thought. Um, what is, how do you value this planet, this world, the creation God has placed us in? Um, are you making decisions that honor it and protect it? I mean, it doesn't matter what your views are on global warming or whatever, but uh, the, the reality just is that human beings we are trashing this planet i mean if if we're if we stay on the trajectory trajectory we're on i mean landfills are going to be out of control um as christians i think or followers of jesus if you're a follower of jesus we should really care about how we impact and use and and use the resources that are on this planet we really should because it's God's good world, and also because those 
the way we take care of this world is going to have, or, or don't take care of it, it's going to have massive implications on human beings made in his image. Um, so yeah, this passage challenged us to think about um, our view of the world around us, and then our view of people made in God's image, and whether or not we value them. Because if God really is going to raise the dead, then we should care for the human bodies he's going to raise. We should care for this world he's given us to steward and care for. Um, we should value everything God's made, especially people like us who bear his image, who are intended, who are designed, though we're broken and flawed, we're designed to reflect his glory. Um, so yeah, I'd encourage you to think about that. What would it look like for you this week to um, take a step to treasure and protect and value God's good world and to treasure and value and respect uh, and serve the people made in his image. Thanks for your time. We'll see you again next week.